He is all I need. Sing out nice and loud. We're in the Lord's house. When we say that, looking for an amen. We're in the Lord's house. We're in the Lord's house. Yeah, man. Jesus Christ is made to mean all my need, all my need. He alone is all my plea. He is all my need. Wisdom, righteousness, and power, holiness, this very hour, my
Shake hands with those around you, letting them know you're glad to see them here in the Lord's house this evening.
strange effect. Music, music, music. <laughs> I felt like I was um, uh, part of Elon Musk's crew or something. I didn't know <laughs> what's going on with that. So good to see each of you this evening. A uh, number of announcements for you. Senior volleyball this coming Thursday at 10. Uh, so seniors be in your places for that. Then ladies fellowship the same day. Uh, it's going to be at 6.30 in the evening. Uh, so ladies, please be there for that. Promotion is going to be this coming Wednesday. Promotion, or this coming Sunday, excuse me. And then uh, also recognizing our graduates. Vacation Bible School, 26, 27, 28. Father's Day is the 18th, and um, a lot of things going on in the summer, amen? A lot of opportunities to serve the Lord, so let's take advantage of them. Good to see you tonight. Hymn number 293, please. Hymn number 293, please stand and join me in singing. No one under understands like Jesus. No one understands like Jesus. preacher, Miss Wiggins, and their family. They are on vacation this week, and be praying for their safe return and a lot of energy when they come back, um, and, and be praying that not as many people will fall asleep during the preacher's preaching as did this morning during mine. You know, some funny things happen when you're preaching, you know that? There was, there was a little boy sitting right about where Brother Jim was this morning. He was fighting it, boy. He was, he was really struggling. Some of you adults were, too. <laughs> so well, if you'd make the message a little more interesting, we wouldn't have to struggle with it. I'm doing the best I can. I, I, pray for me, would you? <laughs> this little boy right about where Brother Jim was, this kid was getting it. And uh, I almost felt... You know, jealous. Man, this kid's sleeping good. I mean, he was snoring so loud, I had to start yelling during the preaching, just hopefully wait, disturbing this whole section, right? <laughs> Miss Becky over there, what, yeah, amen. What did you say that was not a kid? That was Brother Randy? <laughs> I'm teasing, I'm teasing. Then over here on this side, I, had, I don't remember what I said now, but Somebody was right behind, like I'm trying to be behind Brother Puckett right there. These guys were saying, would he just receive the offering already? So I'm hiding behind Brother Puckett. There was somebody over here, and, and then they, they, they came around and did this. 
And I thought, what did I just say? I, you, know, <laughs> you never know, I'll tell you. Some funny things happen in the Lord's house, don't they? All right, <clears throat> let's pray together, please. For how would you lead us? <laughs> Amen. Amen. Like it. Let's play through that again. Let's get everyone singing together. Nothing is impossible. Here we go. Nothing is impossible when you put your trust in God. Nothing is impossible when you're trusting in His Word. Hearken to the voice of God to thee.
Would you have to beg forgiveness Or could you reach out and take his hand If Jesus comes tomorrow What then If Jesus comes tomorrow What then Amen. Yeah, I don't know if that was singing or preaching. Uh, I believe if we gave the invitation right now, we'd have people hit, it, hit the altar. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter number 11, please. 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. I, uh, last Sunday night, I, um, I mentioned... <laughs> to you before we uh, begin to speak, i just let you know that I was really going to be preaching to myself, and if you don't mind, I'm going to have to do the same thing again tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter number 11, we'll begin reading here in just a moment. I had a bus this morning that um, parked right next to mine, is Brother Randy's. He, he hit it and uh, didn't start. That is such a terrible sound. I hate it. <laughs> uh, so, Brother Solomon, we're going to need batteries on that one. Um, <laughs> um, and so that tests you right then. That, that's a tester right now. Um, Brother Randy's so calm all the time, and um, he just has such a calm nature about him. And so we, we get that thing jumped off and ready to roll, and I jump up in the seat and I'm already sweating pretty good. So praise the Lord for the humidity. Been enjoying the rain, but all that humidity, and I tell you, praise the Lord for the humidity. We ride around the lake, and from here, from here down to Lake Howard, then we make a left. And by the time we make that next left to go up over the railroad track, sometimes we count as many as 15 or 20 of uh, those brown little fuzzy bunnies. And I enjoy doing that. I do. I enjoy counting them. I was so aggravated this morning. I didn't want to count the bunnies. <laughs> I don't care how many is out there. Forget the bunnies. They can stay <laughs> Asked the Lord to help my attitude before I taught Sunday school, and he did. Asked the Lord to help my attitude before I preached this morning, and he did. Then I got on the bus this afternoon, and it sure was hot. <laughs> the temperature, the humidity was up here this morning, and the temperature was up here this afternoon. I said, welcome to the summer. Here we go. I thought, man, I tell you, our attitudes, they sure do get mixed up in a hurry, don't they? So, Brother Tony, what kind of attitude do you want to have? I want to have an attitude like Christ had, has. But maybe I'd like to have an attitude like Paul. Paul had a good attitude. 2 Corinthians chapter number 11, the Bible says, in verse number 21, he says, I speak as concerning reproach, as though we had been weak. Howbeit, whereinsoever any is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant in stripes above measure, or more in um, labors more abundant, excuse me, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck. 
a night and a day I have been in the deep, and journeyings often, and perils of waters, and perils of robbers, and perils by my own countrymen, and perils by the heathen, and perils in the city, <laughs> and perils in, in the wilderness, and perils in the sea, and perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst and fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is offended and I burn not? Looking at this list of things with, with Paul here, he says here one spot that in, stri in stripes above measure. That means he'd been beaten so many times that he don't remember how many stripes he had gotten. Too many to count. Too many to count. Paul said he was in prison often. He was in prison so much he was on a first name basis with the warden of every prison. Probably sent Christmas cards to all the kids of the guards. <laughs> he knew them. He was there all the time. I heard our pastor say that when Paul went into a new town, he didn't make reservations at the Holiday Inn. He made reservations down at the prison. Paul was in prison all the time. Stoned? Listen, I've seen some of the videos of what um, some of those false religions do when they stone people to death. And that is a violent, evil thing. To kill somebody by stoning them to death is a terrible mode of death for that, for that person that's dying. What an evil thing. Paul said he'd been stoned. He'd been shipwrecked three times. Now, I don't know, some of you Bible scholars might can help me out with this, but he says a night and a day in the deep. I don't know if that means that he was just holding on to the side of something, hoping to live, or he was treading water. I don't really know exactly what that means, but it doesn't sound good to me. He said he was robbed numerous times by his own countrymen, robbed, robbed by the heathen, Perils in the city, perils in the, in the wilderness, perils in the sea, perils everywhere. Paul had it rough. He said in weariness. He said in painfulness. He also said in hunger. In hunger. He went hungry to serve God. None of us have done that. None of us have been robbed just so that we can serve the Lord. A few of us have been bitten by dogs. That's just the way it is when you're on the bus route. But none of us have had to go hungry. None of us have had to spend uh, a night in the deep. None of us. Chapter 12, he begins to talk to the Lord. He, he talks about being in and uh, in and out of the body, and whether in or out of the body, I can't tell. And he talks about a a a um, a thorn in the flesh. Look what it says in verse number seven, in chapter twelve. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. Paul goes to the Lord and says, Lord, and, and by the way, there's been a lot of people trying to figure out what that thorn in the flesh was. Some people said it was bad eyesight, bad posture. Um, I, I think it's what the Bible said, a messenger from Satan. I don't know what that means. Uh, I don't know if it's a demon all the time attached to Paul that's trying to discourage him. I, I don't know what that means. But I, I do know that it was serious enough for the man who was likely the greatest Christian to ever live 
to go to God about it three times. Three times. Probably Paul's thinking was this, likely what your thinking would be and certainly what my thinking would be. Man, if I didn't have this thorn in the flesh, how much more could I do for you, God? You ever heard someone say something like this? If I could just win the lottery, man, I'd give the church so much money. <laughs> oh, goodness. If I just had better talents, if I just had this, if I just... Paul was, Paul was probably thinking, if I just didn't have this struggle, I could serve God in a much more effective way. That's what Paul was likely thinking. But our Lord has a response for Paul in verse number 9. Three times he asked, and then verse number 9, and this is Paul saying what the Lord said unto him. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul, Paul's thinking again was likely, man, I sure could be better if I didn't have to deal with this. But the Lord says, Paul, it's that very thing. It's that very thorn that I use the most to keep you weak so that I can then be strong through you. Now me and you, maybe our response would be a little bit different than Paul. But I want you to notice Paul's response. Notice his response in verse number 9. After the Lord says, no, I'm not going to take away this thorn. This is Paul's response. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Continues on in verse number, verse number 10. Therefore, I take pleasure. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, for when I am weak, then am I strong. You know what this is? Paul's response to Lord, please take away this thorn that's in my flesh. Lord, I, I just want to serve you more effectively. And, and Lord, if I didn't have that one thing, I could probably do a better job serving you. And he says, no, that's the thing that I'm using in your life to help you do what you're doing for me. And then he says, well, I, I'm looking at it entirely different than the way you're looking at it, Lord. And the way I'm looking at it obviously is wrong. So I now will embrace those hardships. The infirmities, Lord, thank you for them. I will wear them as, as a badge. I will keep a hold of them. I will thank you for them. I will look at them as blessings, not, not as, Lord, please, don't take this away, but Lord, thank you for it. Thank you for it. Again, that's Major League Christianity. That's hard to do. That's a hard thing to do. I will glory in the thorn, he says. I will take pleasure in the hardship. No wonder, take your Bibles please and turn to Philippians chapter 4. No wonder he was able to say what he said under the leadership of the Holy Spirit in Philippians chapter 4. Notice what he says in verse number 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. No wonder a man can say that under the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God. 
No wonder he can say, it doesn't matter if I'm in jail, I'm content. It doesn't matter if I'm hungry, I'm content. It doesn't matter if I'm having a good time or a hard time. None of that matters. I'm content in Christ. Major League Christianity. Verse number 12, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I'm instructed to be both full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. These are very familiar verses to us. Very familiar. Notice back in verse number 11, he says this, I have learned, learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I've learned that. How do you learn that? How do you learn to be content even when things are hard? How do you learn that? Well, I won't ask you to turn there, but you'll find in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, that Paul says this, I keep under my body. I keep under my body. What does that mean, Brother Tony? It means this, that I take what I want, my desires, my worldly lust, strong desire, I take what I want, I push that down, and I replace it with what Christ wants. So then it's easier then for him to say, I've learned to be content. I've learned to be content. I, I didn't say it's easy. I said it's easier. And listen, he said, I've learned. All of our young people in here that just got out of school for the summer, they, they've made dozens of songs about school being out for the summer. Did you know that? And our kids sing them like crazy. <laughs> no more teachers, no more books, or no more homework, no more books, no more teachers, dirty looks, is that how it goes? <laughs> and teachers are good at giving those looks too, aren't they? You know why? Because learning is tough. Learning is tough. The Bible says that much study is weariness to the flesh. You know why you don't read your Bible very much? The flesh don't like it. That's just the way it is. The flesh hates reading the scripture. Hates it. Hates it. Then we come to verse number 13. And we all know this verse and we have all probably quoted it in a wrong way many, many times. Many times. This is probably one of the verses that's most taken out of context in all scripture. The Bible says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. You know what we do with that verse, most Christians? We take that thing out and we put it on a nice background and plaster it all over the internet and say, looky here, how precious. It's normally used in the context where someone says, I want to build a new Sunday school class. And I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Did you know that's the wrong context? I can build this bus route because Christ has given me the strength to do it. Wrong context. I can overcome any obstacle. It's not about gaining ground here. It's not about that. 1999, we went to the wilds. And we hadn't, been, we hadn't gone to the wilds. I'd never been to the wilds. So they started talking about this tower at the wilds, this jump tower. Thing's 40 feet tall. 40 feet. Now, give you some idea of what 40 feet is, right here, the peak of this, uh, of this building that we're in right here is 35 feet. That's a lot. But you get up there, it's a lot more. Amen, Brother Ron? Brother Ron chained some light bulbs for us out there in the gym a couple weeks ago. Let me tell you something. That, that'll seize you up. Everything tightens up on you when you get up there. <laughs> I'm telling you right now. It'll test you. 
28 feet is one thing. You go ahead and add, add another 12 to it. I told our teenagers at the time, Mark Sullivan, he was on the dive team. I, I hope Miss Carolyn's watching this tonight. I told Mark, I said, let me tell you something. I'm going to get up on that tower. I'm going to hold on to the back. And just as soon as they give me the green light, I'm going to take off. Just and just leap and just jump right out. And he said, ain't no way. I said, I, I got this, man. I'm, for, I'm straight from Juanita. I will do this. And he says, no way. I said, watch me. Watch me. I got up there. It was boy swim time. I climbed all the way up there. And I got to tell you, when I got up there, that thing started swaying like this. <laughs> then it started swaying like this. And I, I, I was kind of getting a little bit lightheaded. <laughs> but I'd already talked up so much noise, so I grabbed hold of the back of that thing. And just as soon as they said it was all right to go, this is what I did. Girl swim time came next. Some of the teenage girls, they were climbing up that thing, jumping off of it, having a big time. <laughs> Miss Amy and I, we were 24 years of age at the time. 24, 25. She looked like one of the kids herself. And the rule is, you climb up that thing, you gotta jump. You gotta jump. So <laughs> Miss Amy's climbing up, she gets all the way to the top. And she looks and she's, nah, no way, I am not jumping off of that thing. And so one of the counselors said, oh, no, you got to jump now. And she said, no, I'm not jumping now either. And she said, now, little missy, you're jumping. You're not climbing back down, you're jumping. And she said, go ahead and quote Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ. Miss Amy said, quote it if you want to, but God's giving me a brain. I'm getting down. <laughs> she said to Miss Amy, she said, well, I'm going to have to talk to your counselor. And she said, my counselor is my husband, the youth pastor. Go, go, go call him. And she said, oh, I'm so sorry, ma'am. I'm so sorry. Philippians 4.13, Philippians 4.13 more accurately is for us to know that when the hard things that come into our life that absolutely shred your heart, haunt your mind, and interrupt your sleep at night, Philippians 4.13, that's the verse we run to for that. Not for, oh yeah, I'm going to build this new bus route. Nothing wrong. We want God's hand on us to do that. But it's not for that. Just a small way to look at the context of a particular verse. Look at the verse before it. Look at the verse after it. The verse before it says, I know, I know both how to be abased and to know about or how to abound. Everywhere in all things, I'm instructed both to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Look at the verse after that. Notwithstanding, you have well done that you did communicate with my, look, affliction. The context for Philippians 4.13 is not conquest. It's not conquest at all. It's comfort by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's comfort. Things that steal our joy, things that come into our lives and you think the clouds will never clear. That's what Philippians 4.13 is about. Paul suffered like few others have suffered in the history of mankind. But look, he did it with the right attitude he did it with the right attitude 
Paul had the right attitude in difficult situations. He chose the right attitude. I had a job I used to work when, um, um, I don't know, very early 20s, right above the time clock. We punched in, the, we punched a time clock, and right above the time clock it said this, attitude is a small thing that makes a big difference. A small thing that makes a big difference. Paul suffered like no one else, but he had the right attitude in suffering. And then, take your Bibles, please, and go to Romans chapter number 7. Romans chapter number 7. We see Paul's attitude on display again in this chapter. The Bible says, was then that which, we're looking at verse 13, was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin working death in me by that which is good, that sin by commandment might become exceeding sinful. Paul had the right attitude about suffering, but then also notice that Paul had the right attitude about sin. He said that it might become exceeding sinful. We talked about Samson some this morning, and Samson did not have the right attitude about sin. He did not. Samson had an attitude that sin can be tampered with, but it can't. Samson had the attitude that sin can be regarded as just uh, a, a trifle, but it can't. Sin is absolutely deadly. And the Bible says sin, when it is finished, we quoted this this morning, sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth but one thing, and one thing only, it brings forth death. Sin kills everything it touches. That's the nature of it. There was a man that he had a boa constrictor. He was massive, massive. He had trained this snake to do different things. And let me tell you, the only snake, in my opinion, is a dead one. And I know someone might come, oh, Brother Tony, there's some good ones. They're good if they're dead or away from me. Amen? You ever tried rattlesnake? Absolutely not. No. I don't even want a rattlesnake belt or boots. Amen? I don't want that. He had trained this snake to do different things. And this snake would raise its head up and just kind of, eh, you know. But the finale of the show was when he would go down to where the snake was and the snake would come to him and would coil around his body. And then he would give a command and then that snake would unwind itself from around the body and then crawl back into his cage. There was a group of people watching the show one night. They'd never seen it. They watched as the snake did all these incredible things and then when he gave the command, the snake came to him, wrapped around him, wrapped around him just like he had planned. But he began to tighten down on the man. And then he tightened more. And every time that man exhaled, he tightened again until he crushed his lungs. And there was a crowd of people watched him die. Watched him die. And they didn't even realize what was going on. They, they thought it was part of the show. Sin is not to be trifled with. It's not to be tampered with. Sin cannot be trained Sin is just like that snake. Right about the time we think we got it handled, no, no. It'll show you that you're wrong. Paul had the right attitude about suffering, the right attitude about sin, but he also had the right attitude about self. Look at Romans chapter number 12. The Bible says in verse number 3, For I say, though the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, 
but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. I need to study that verse out a little more because it's almost humorous. Because if someone is thinking soberly, that's the opposite of, of foolishness. It's the opposite of being drunk. So when someone's thinking so highly of himself, God's like, you act like a fool. You act like a drunk man. What a foolish thing. Paul, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, says, no, don't think too highly of yourself. I think a lot of us have a good opinion of ourselves. Look now at Romans chapter 7. I, I want to follow Paul's example in this. Romans chapter 7 verse 14, the Bible says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do I allow not, for that would for that for what I would that do I not but what I hate that do I if then I do that which I would not I consent unto the law that it is good now then it is no more I that do it but sin that dwelleth in me and look what he says in verse 18 and this is a good estimation of all of us for I know that dwelleth in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing for to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. Paul, the great missionary, had it not been for Paul, humanly speaking, we wouldn't have this Bible tonight. This is what Paul says about self. He had the right attitude of self. And then back to Romans chapter 12, please. Paul also had the right attitude towards the saints, towards the other saints. We've all seen the, the acronym uh, JOY, Jesus, Others, Then You. Tony Dungy wrote a book. The title of it was um, I, am, I Am Second. I, I think he said I'm second. Um, or it might have been I'm third. I, I don't remember now, but um, the whole premise of it is I put... God and others before myself. Romans chapter 12, again under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, Paul says this in verse number 10. Uh, well, let's read verse 9 as well. Let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. Preferring one another. What does it mean to prefer someone, prefer one another? It means to put them before me. It means for you to put them before you. What they think is more important than what I think. I don't have to have rest, but I want to make sure someone else does have rest. My feelings, they need to be set aside so I can consider the feelings of another. That's what Paul said under the leadership of the Holy Spirit when he said preferring one another. My feelings don't matter as much as the other brothers does. My cares don't matter as much as the other brothers' cares matter. What is that? That's letting this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's what that is. Paul also had the right attitude concerning souls. Look at 1 Corinthians again, please. Uh, you know, let's just forget uh, 1 Corinthians. Let's stay in Romans. Let's go back to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter number 9. This is a display that the Holy Spirit allows to be recorded 
uh, for us for all time. And I, I got to tell you that what I'm getting ready to read, we talked about Major League Christianity earlier. I'm going to tell you, I know I haven't come to this place. I know I haven't. Um, <laughs> uh, you, you may have. But the Bible says in Romans chapter 9, look what it says in, in verse number 1. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. What a burden for souls is what he's talking about. Then he goes on to say this in verse number 3. For I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. He's saying here, I would be willing to go to the lake of fire for my brothers, not brothers in Christ, but those of us or those who are Israelites. I would be willing to go to hell for them. I would give up my salvation right now for them. What an attitude toward souls. What an attitude toward souls. You want to know why, Saul, why, why Paul was a soul winner? It's that right there. It's that. Willing to go to hell for somebody else. Listen, if you're willing to go to hell for them, you're willing to knock on their door. If you're willing to go to hell for them, you're willing to talk to them at the grocery store, even if you've never met them, if you're willing to go to hell for them. Someone with that kind of attitude about souls, they will win souls. No question. No question. And then last, but absolutely not least, this absolutely is the, the hinge of everything. Everything hinges on the verses we're going to be reading here in just a moment in the book of Colossians. Turn there, please. Colossians chapter number 1. the Lord Jesus Christ who we're talking about in, in chapter 1 begin reading in verse 15 who is the image it's not asking the question it's saying who is who is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of every creature for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth visible and invisible whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. In verse number 18, here's the hinge. Everything hinges on this with Paul. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things, all things, he says, in all things, he might have the preeminence. The preeminence. You know why Paul could suffer with the right attitude? Because he had the right attitude about Christ. You know why Paul could had the right attitude when it came to sin. He saw sin the way it should be. He had the right attitude about Christ. You know why Paul saw himself correctly as being lower and Christ being higher? Because he had the right attitude about Christ. Paul saw the saints correctly because he had a right attitude about Christ. Paul sees lost souls correctly because he has the right attitude about Christ. Everything hinges on that. Someone said, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. The reason Paul had the right attitude in all those other areas is because his attitude about Christ was right. 
Christ was Lord of all in Paul's life. Lord of all. You're having trouble with situations? Your trouble's not with your situation. Your trouble's with Christ. You're having trouble with sin? Your trouble's not with sin. Your trouble's with Christ. You're having trouble with self-image? Your trouble's not with self-image. Your trouble's with Christ. You're not seeing Christ right. Having trouble with a brother? Trouble's not with a brother. Trouble's with Christ. Don't care for souls the right way? Listen, trouble with situations, trouble in sin, trouble in self, trouble with the brethren, those are symptoms. Those are symptoms. The trouble is we don't have Christ in the right place. We are occupying the throne that belongs to him. Our attitude toward the Savior is not right. Paul's attitude about Christ is that he was preeminent. He was above everything. He's not above most things. He's above everything. He's above my marriage. He's above my wife. He's above me. He's above my job. He's above my children. He's above my activities. No matter what it is, Christ belongs at the top of it. At the top of it. Let's stand, please, with our heads bowed.